Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homey. I'm your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in once again and invest in yourself today. The Business Creators Radio Show takes you to those places where you have those mastermind meetings and aha moments that can bring you closer to you serving from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion or possibly change your entire trajectory. We take you into the field where these things happen. We don't have some $25,000 Hollywood soundproofed office. Actually, right now I'm sitting out on my balcony here in sumptuous, beautiful Las Vegas, Nevada, known to some as the hottest city in America. And for that very reason, we may be moving in and I'll be sitting on my purple couch here shortly. Anyway, what we're going to discuss today are a couple of things, one of which is among the most popular topics on our show, and I love to bring in different perspectives of this, the idea of building a big brand on a small budget. And then we're going to go a step deeper, and we're going to look at the challenges of doing your marketing profitably, and particularly why it's challenging, if not difficult, to scale using what's known as performance marketing. We love to define our terms here, and we'll be doing that in a second. So let me briefly introduce our guest. His name is Faisal Siddiqui. He is a board-level strategist for Fortune 10s, startups, and nonprofits, and he's on a mission to make brand marketing more accountable and effective for all. He is the founder of the Creative Business Company. We'll hear more about that as we go along, but for now, let's have him in. Faisal, welcome aboard. Come on in. The weather's fine. Hi, Adam. Thanks for having me. All right. So very impressive biography you have. I only read off a piece of it because I already know that I'm not sure I'm worthy to be in your presence and this is my show. So before we get into the many things that you indicated in the green room you want to share with us, uh, let's begin by parting the curtain and having you tell us a bit. So in your own words, share with us a bit about your journey and what's brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. In a short story, um, I, I, I was a bit of a creative soul. I, I focused on fine arts in high school, quickly realized that I wanted to be able to pay the rent uh, in life. And so I, I, I veered more in towards advertising and marketing. Um, and I got my first job in London, England. I'm based in Toronto, Canada. Um, they foolishly decided to have me over as an intern and I never left. And 10 years later, um, uh, the company had been bought. I was the head of strategy uh, in the London office at Profit. Profit mm -hmm. is the brand and marketing consultancy started by Scott Galloway and David Aker. And I always wanted to start with my own firm. So I left uh, Profit. I moved back to Toronto. I did the stereotypical thing, which was I married another Canadian uh, in London. We moved back to Canada and I started my own firm. And here we are. Nice, nice, nice. So 
one of the things you wanted to start off with right away is this notion of why you can't scale profitably using performance marketing. So the first thing we need you to do is we need you to identify your term. What do you mean by performance marketing? And then tell us where the challenge is. That's a really good question. So there's really two types of marketing. Um, the first one is called brand marketing. And for the lay person, that's perhaps what comes to mind when people think about big advertising. So these are campaigns that you'll see on billboards, uh, on Super Bowl commercials, in print uh -huh. advertising. And this is the type of advertising that interrupts people, right? It tells you that, hey, this brand exists. It's very widely targeted. So it's kind of for everyone within a total addressable market. It's often considered a bit more expensive and sadly, it was also seen as the purview or only really accessible to the really, really big brands. So that's what we call brand marketing. So uh, in to, to, to use a bit of marketing jargon, we sometimes call that top of the funnel. So this is the type of advertising that's really fair to tell people that you exist. It's not trying to hammer home a hard sale. And it's more soft type of message. So think about HSBC, they'll have some great ads around the world's local bank. That's an example of brand marketing. Right. What performance marketing is, performance marketing really grew up about 10 or 15 years ago with the social networks. And what the social networks like Facebook, uh, or even Google or Twitter, less so Twitter now, but what they promised a lot of small businesses was this idea that, hey, you can't afford a billboard, you can't afford to talk to everyone. So we're going to deliver a very specific message to people who are perfect for your category and are ready to buy. And on the surface, that sounds really good. So think about those two different types of marketing. Brand marketing is really broad. Performance marketing is often more digital. It's way more narrowly targeted. And it's usually with a hard selling message, which basically says, you know, um, if I'm typing on the uh, internet about a shampoo, I'm going to get an ad about shampoo. Uh, so it's more targeted and it's driving a purchase. So those are the two different types of marketing. All right. So what is the challenge with scaling profitably using the latter form, the performance marketing? Well, to be clear, one could scale profitably using performance marketing about a decade ago. And, 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 and really a lot of the DTC brands that kind of became famous, if you think about your Dollar Shave Clubs, your Warby Parkers, your Bonobos, what these brands um, really capitalized on was this idea that you could acquire a customer because these performance ads were so perfectly targeted, right? That you weren't gonna waste money on showing your ads to people who weren't in your category or weren't really ready to buy. And that, and that did exist. So there was almost kind of a gold rush time, you know, in the early you know, 2010s, 2012, 2013, 2014. But the challenge with, with performance marketing, there's three challenges really. But the first one is that behind performance marketing is an auction-based bidding system. Now, why, do you, why should we care about an auction-based bidding system? Well, an auction-based bidding system is basically says the, 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 the company or the brand that bids or is willing to pay the most for a certain keyword wins the right to show their ad. 
So going back to our shampoo example, all the different shampoo brands are going to bid for keywords. And what we mean by keywords is, as I told, as, as we spoke about before, performance marketing um, shows an ad to people who are relevant to the category. So how does it do that? Well, performance marketing basically says that we're going to show ads to people on the internet who have typed in things that are related to your product and to your category. That sounds great. So there's a whole set of keywords, say shampoo, um, balding, uh, shampoo for thick hair, thin hair. So every single one of your shampoo brands is paying money to get their ad at the top spot. Now, just like the airline category, for example, when everyone wants to go on vacation during March break, because it's an auction-based bidding system, uh, it, really, um, it really is susceptible to inflationary pricing. So the more competitors you have in a category, the more those costs for this individual ads go up tremendously. And so what happened is whereby in 2013 and 2014, you had a lot of early adopters with very few competitors who could buy those ads for cheap. Right now, the cost for each one of those ads has doubled or tripled. And for a lot of DTC or smaller companies, what that means is, yes, you can acquire a customer, but you're paying a lot of money to do it. And often what you're doing is you're paying more money than the lifetime value of the customer that you have acquired. So immediately, we're actually unprofitably acquiring every single customer. Yeah, yeah. And when I when you first, I first heard auction, I assumed that you were going to go directly into social media advertising campaigns, which candidly, I'm not really hot on. Well, that's exactly it. Um, so performance marketing is generally was really created by social media advertising companies, was created by Facebook, was created by Google, um, partially because they had all of the data, right? So they had the data. If you were in a Facebook group, we knew your likes, we knew what we, you liked, what you didn't like. And they were really able to super segment the population to deliver a very specific message to someone who is very, very interested to a niche target who's interested in your shampoo uh, for a certain type of group. Um, but as I said before, what's happened is that the cost to do that has gone through the roof. So that's the first reason. So it's the auction-based bidding system, and the auction-based bidding system is really prone to infl inflationary pricing. The second challenge is really around this idea that with performance marketing, you're only talking to the people who are actively shopping the category. Now, why is that important? So there's a really great statistic coming out of the Ehrenberg Bass Institute. Um, they're an academic institute for marketing science, You know, one of the few institutes that actually put a lot of numbers behind what works and what doesn't work in marketing. And they have an interesting uh, rule. It's called the 95-5 rule. And what the 95-5 rule says is that over the lifetime of a company, 95% of their revenue is going to come from folks who are not ready to buy your product right now. So that means that they don't have a need for shampoo. They aren't looking for shampoo right now, but they could in the future. Now, remember how we talked about how performance marketing works on keywords, right? So if it's, it's an ad targeted to someone who's displayed a degree of intent or interest in the category, well, if 95% of 
your lifetime revenue of your firm is going to come from folks who don't need shampoo right now. If you put all of your advertising budget into performance marketing, you're really only talking to the 5% of shoppers who are active right now. Yeah. And at our firm, Creative Business Company, we, the, the, what we call that, the difference between performance marketing and brand marketing is performance marketing is converting the demand that is there today, whereas brand marketing is building what we call future demand. Yeah. I mean, like when people search for my stuff, I wish every single one was ready to launch a podcast today. Because <laughs> uh, I wouldn't have to have this conversation with you or anybody else. I'd be so far beyond retired right now. But the fact is, uh, I think that uh, my metric is more like, and again, I'm just being candid, probably like 97 to 98% of the time. Now, my offer is more of a high ticket offer. It's a lot different than buying shampoo. So as far as like the immediate uh, people hang on the edge of their seats demand, that's got to be created. Because uh, let me ask you, Faisal, did you, um, did you wake up this morning saying, Hey, I think I'm going to spend $4,000 and give it to some guy I'm going to meet and then have a 10 minute conversation with him and have him build me an entire new marketing modality. Sure did not. I wish they would. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Happen. Yeah. I'd, lo I'd love to. I'd love for that to happen. But yeah, I've been in the online marketing space for 20 years and I have yet to see something that actually credibly develops it. I've seen flashes in the pan that promise it. And that's why they were flashes in the pan. But I, I again, I, it's because I've been around so long. Uh, bright, shiny objects, the big flash in the pan, and all that just doesn't excite me. A few weeks ago, when Meta came out with Threads, my only comment was, "Hey, you guys want to see a real Threads link? I got one that'll scare the bejesus out of you." I was referring to a movie made in 1984 called Threads about the aftermath of nuclear war. And I was like, please, somebody, somebody say you want my threads link. But they were all like, oh, here's me on threads. Let's follow each. No. <laughs> finally, finally, a friend of mine who, you know, who whose own personal branding involves posting move select movie lines. And he hashtags them select movie lines uh, came to my thread a week later, came to my my Facebook wall a week later and said uh, and made a comment. It's like, oh. He knows I'm talking about the movie. Finally, I should have just reached out to this guy to begin with, but no, I waited a whole week. Now, in that week, I bring this up for a reason, the Threads app uh, pretty much flashed and went by. Now, as I say this, there may be more to it, but as of right now, I don't see it going any further. It doesn't seem to have, uh, it doesn't seem to have really uh, played out. Well, absolutely. And now, um, what's the latest news? Twitter is now rebranded as X. So this oh, is the... Oh, yeah, that's been predicted the, for some time, but go on. Yeah, so this is the... What we are witnessing is the tantrums of a spoiled megalomaniac who's traditionally um, scoffed at advertising and branding, kind of do a bit of, a, of an own goal and... Um, and seem to have rebranded Twitter without and losing all of the equity the brand did have into something new called X, uh, which has absolutely no equity, and there doesn't seem to be too much of a strategy behind it. So um, there's wonderful comedy happening every day live from Mr. Mux. Well, uh, I see that point of view, and I have my own belief, and I don't want to get too deep into this because there are so many variables out there that still remain either pending or unproven. 
is when he went to acquire Twitter in the first place, he wasn't looking to buy an established business, maybe put a fresh coat of paint on it, change a few policies and procedures and and uh, rearrange the org chart a little just to show he was boss. Uh, he was ultimately looking to gut it, shred it in half and use its users and its infrastructure to form the foundation of something else. I still believe that's where it's headed. And I don't have enough data to say for sure what that means. I mean, I mean, for example, the subscription model where people pay $8 a month in exchange for being able to write longer posts, be able to bookmark the posts and get at least some, so people say, algorithmic priority. Uh, and right there, I, I viewed that as a strategy of identifying who are the actual target people that he ultimately needs to be speaking with about his streaming services, his influencer subscription services, his video hosting sources and things like that versus who he shouldn't be speaking with because they're not even going to pay $8. I can see that too. Uh, and where the rest of it goes is, again, I really don't know. Uh, I believe that uh, this is... I believe that he's taking the approach of building the airplane while he's flying it, which has worked sometimes, but I, I don't, I can't say for sure. All I know is that the rebranding to X is something he said he was going to do a long time ago. It surprised me about as much as when I looked out to the east this morning and saw the sun coming from there. Yeah, I, um, I appreciate where you're coming from. I, I, I tend to be a bit more skeptical in the sense that we yeah. did, um, we did a lot of kind of marketing and subscription work with newspapers. Yeah. And often they'll say, so it's a, it's a similar type of product where um, you have a large premium model and then you're trying to, you're trying to sell subscriptions off the back of that. And usually right. a good subscription rate is about 2% of your total visitor. So if we take yeah. whatever, however many people are on Twitter, Twitter, and then you say, okay, and then we reduce the amount that went to threads. And we say we take the remainder of that and we convert that and say 2% are willing to pay for a blue check. I wonder whether $44 billion is worth all of that. But I could be wrong. Well, uh, then again, he overpaid. Uh, I mean, there, and there's different theories on that too. The one I tend to believe is that the, that the valuation was incorrect due to underestimating what percentage of the users were artificial intelligence bots. But uh, and then by the time he was into the deal, he couldn't back out. I remember him trying to get out of the deal and the court saying, oh, no, 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 no. You said you were going to you said you were going to pay uh, the forty four billion dollars. You got to go ahead with it now. So, uh, I mean, there's something to be said about making, you know, investing in the silver lining because it is a precious metal. Uh, I, again, I don't know enough about this to say for sure. And just the fact that you and I have different viewpoints on it which is perfectly good uh shows that i think there's a lot we haven't seen yet and again when i made my comment about the uh the meta threads app it seemed like it came and went in about three seconds but i also said as of this conversation yeah to be honest i'm not too um i i i myself have not moved to threads i'm still a twitter user yeah um, i suppose as a brand guy the big question that I have about the rebrand is, is usually what we'll say, I'm going to use some brand charting here, is, but you, when you do rebrand, you want to retain some of the equity of the old brand. So yeah. for example, when Facebook became meta, um, the color is still blue. 
uh, the, the, the UX UI is still very much similar. The buttons, there's a the like button, stuff like that. There's still called, fa- yeah, yeah, there's still a Facebook, there's still an Instagram. Um, oh, all, the brand, yeah. all the brands that fall under Meta, you can still point to them and you can still touch them, feel them, interact with them, and they still use the same terminology. So I guess for the time being, you're still going to be able to tweet and retweet and quote tweet. Uh, I I don't know what you know it's going to mean to X something. I do remember that when they announced that they were going ahead with changing the branding of it to X, that people got confused with a porn site that has a similar name, and it trended. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You well, saw that? Get, yeah, well, he's got to get users from somewhere, you know? So Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, hey, uh, last time I checked, those people spend money too. I don't know. Absolutely. Yeah. So one of the challenges that people face is, you know, we've already uh, spent some good time on uh, the whole thing about how you can't really scale profitably using performance marketing in the current market. And then that leads to the larger question that we're looking to come up with data for on their conversation is how to build a big brand on a small budget. Everybody knows my answer. Launch your podcast, your key networking, client attraction, celebrities for branding tool. Uh, we, we can, uh, you can reach out to me. We can speak about that. And I say this to our listeners all day long. But what I really want to find out is some of what Faisal brings to us in terms of how somebody can still do this given all the challenges that he himself has outlined. So I guess where I'd like to start is uh, in terms of the mis- uh, small, you know, small companies doing their marketing, what do you think is one of the biggest mistakes they make? I think the short answer is really competing at the point of purchase, which is yeah. exactly what performance marketing is, which is someone is ready to buy and then you and all of your competitors decide to show up in front of them, write them in there and convince them to choose you. That's just a really expensive way of going about things. And yeah. the short answer is how do you how do you how do you build a big brand on a small budget? How, what is the opposite of that? How do you acquire customers profitably? Well, it's very simple, which is you need to engage with the prospect before they're ready to buy. So that 95% of folks who are not ready to buy. Wouldn't it be amazing if they already knew your brand when they were ready to create their own podcast? They already knew your brand when they were ready to buy that shampoo. And so that, in effect, is what is brand marketing. And there's very interesting ways of doing that in a more digital-centric way where we rethink you know, brand marketing isn't just the Super Bowl commercial. It isn't just the billboard on the bus. It could be a podcast. It could be content. It could be things, or it could be pieces of content and and messages that that give value to potential users, such that when they are ready to buy that podcast, uh, you're top of mind. Yeah, precisely. I found that my off my 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 premium offer is kind of a long game sell, so to speak. And I've also found that some of my easiest closes were with people I had already known a long time. It just sort of light bulb for me while you were saying that. And, and I knew them from long before the idea of podcasting was even a twinkle in my eye. Well, the brilliant thing about that is that you've essentially turned a cold lead into a warm one 
And then when they are ready to buy, they're ready to receive a warm offer. And I think that's a mistake so many small companies make, which is they 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 sell a hot offer. And when I, when I say a hot offer, that's like two for one, 20% off by now to a cold lead. Hot and cold don't mix. And so you want to you want to bring people who are cold and and warm them up, if you will, yeah, with interactions which are not overly salesy in nature, such that when they are ready, um, when they are ready to buy, um, your brand is top of mind. So specifically, let's get concrete. So what does creative business company do? So as a marketing management consultancy, I'll, I'll just tell you our playbook. Um, at the top of the funnel, what we'll do is we'll create white papers. We'll do white papers on effectiveness around brand marketing or white right. papers on how to build a big brand on a small budget. We will then put LinkedIn ad dollars behind those white papers. Anyone who then reads one of our white papers, that certain pieces of content within the white papers are gated. So if you want that, if you want, you know, slide 54 of the deck, uh, and it's and it's and and it's all blurred out. You have to give us your email address. If you want to download the presentation into a PDF form, you have to give us your email address. That is a great way to start building up a newsletter list. We then we then nurture that newsletter list, and what we do is we run all the numbers on our funnel. So we know exactly the number of people who are consuming our white papers. We know exactly the number of people who um, perhaps have listened to a podcast like this, and then drove traffic to our website from the website we know exactly how many people are then signing up to our newsletter and then from the newsletter we know exactly how many people are then receptive to an offer and i'm not trying to su suggest that the purchase journey is as linear as that there's side doors certainly yeah but the basic idea is the more the more people you the more people you can engage with uh and and when i say engage what i mean by that is engaging in a soft sell by giving them value, by offering uh, insightful content um, to the broadest number of people over time when they narrow in and they come to your website or they are ready to buy, you will be top of mind. They won't even bother to Google and they'll go right to you. Yeah. I And, and, and again, you know, what really struck me, and I think that this is, if there's one thing our listeners can take away as the beginning of their thought process is that you see folks making the hot offers, the cold prospects and competing at the point of sale. And exactly. then, and then we wonder why things flail. You know, I've, I, in one of my business iterations, I was a hired gun for product launches and we were talking about the five, six digit kind. And, you know, time and time again, I would have uh prospects and actual clients say why do we have to go through this bullshit i mean i have i have the product ready can't we just make them the offer i mean they, they know me yeah exactly. so, so i said yeah we can certainly try that if you sign a piece of paper stating that you are aware that your campaign will fail and it's your fault yeah. and <laughs> and that for, and that furthermore you'll publicly acknowledge that i told you so but go ahead we can do it that way that's yeah, if they that's, that's if they really tried to push the point. Uh that being that being said, I was able to show a number of examples of how using, you know, and there are various models out there of which the product launch formula is one, the live launch method is another, that uh you can that you create some of the things that you just described rather than competing at the point of sale, 
looking at the, shall we say, the warm-up, the development, and even if the person's already a warm prospect, warming them up to what you're offering now, even if they've known you for 10 years. Yeah, I, and I, it's a great point. And I guess I want to ask you this question. Um, we're actually seeing a bit of a convergence between kind of sales and traditional marketing. And so, Correct. and even when we're talking about brand marketing, I'm not talking about an emotional kind of purpose video. I'm talking about white papers. I'm talking about podcasts, um, you know, webinars, things like that. Are you seeing the same thing in your end as well? As far as what podcasts or just in, are you seeing, um, a similarity in how marketing folks and sales folks are are talking about top of the funnel in terms of what are the things that we can do to nurture leads. Yeah, I think I think I'm seeing some similarities. Uh, however, from my view, it still seems like there's that same push and pull that I described a moment ago versus those who understand the need to create the, what you know, they may call it the customer journey versus those that will say, but they're on my list. They already know me. Why do I need to do this? Can't I just make them the offer and tell them to buy? Mm-hmm. And then, and this, and this goes to that debate you see played out so many times on social media threads where somebody will ask, do you prefer long copy or short copy? And I love to wade into those. And my first and my first thing that I'll contribute to those discussions is, uh, hey, uh, I got some thoughts here based on some work that I've actually done. I have some numbers. I have researched this topic thoroughly. So just want to check if any of you guys are interested or if this is just yet another forum for people to bitch about how they think they want to just be told how much and how soon. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, I think it's a really important distinction. Yeah, to know it, that there's a diff- there's a difference between having a list and then having an engaged list. Well, there is there there is that, and then there are the folks who who say or think that they prefer the short copy, the just the fax man version of it, but they themselves are actually more susceptible to the long form version of the conversation. It's funny how that funny how that works. Like what like I I do studies in neurolinguistic programming, NLP, and I'll describe um, instances where I see it being used whether it's in the media, uh, by politicians giving speeches or what have you. And I'll outline uh you know all you know all the various tactics I see them using and whether it's heavily marked or lightly marked. I can go on and on and on about this. And then and then I'll even then I'll even say and, you know, the best part is, is uh, I did vote for this person and I knew what they were doing and uh, I went along with it because it felt good. So, 100%. so, so yeah, so the thing, thing is, I'm conscious as I know, I'm hi- I know I'm highly suggestible. That's why whenever they uh, do, whenever they have, you know, the, you know, the uh, performing hypnotists on stage and they bring a bunch of people on to determine who's actually suggestible so they can do the little skit they were planning, I always get picked. It's because because one of the things I understand about hypnosis and and I've also uh, had a lot of hypnotherapy over the years is that it's not this thing where somebody dangles a watch in front of you and then you turn you get turned into a uh, a helpless zombie that could be commanded to do any uh, stupid humiliating thing. Under hypnosis, you're aware you're under hypnosis, and you're also aware that you have the will at any time to bring yourself out of it. Well, in 
in in the discipline that I come from, um, we often talk about the difference between systems one and systems two thinking, and that yeah. and that was promulgated by Daniel Kahneman, the famous economist. And yeah, system systems one thinking is essentially quick uh, quick thinking, and this is done in the brain. Whereas systems two is more logical and deliberate, and so it's far more efficient for people. To do to use systems one thinking to get through their lives. So, what does that mean with systems one thinking? Well, if I'm going to cross the street, I know that a green light means go, and a stop sign means stop. Yeah. I'm not going to re-legislate that every single time and use systems to engage the speed of the traffic and then decide should I go or not. No. I, 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 I personally am not, but living in Las Vegas, I see enough idiots um, who, th- <laughs> who, th- who, th- who think that the law don't apply. I was sitting in an intersection uh, at the intersection of Decatur and Desert Island. Uh, locals know that that's right near the uh, crossover into Paradise literally called paradise which is where the strip is and um i and i and i watch these two people that willfully crossed illegally two different directions and um and uh i just for fun as i as i as i got around them after they cut me off uh, by walking illegally in front of me i set out the window you know they have laws in this country and they tried and they started running down the street after me. It was hilarious. I intentionally drove real slow just to give them a chance to try and catch me. And then I zoomed off. Well, maybe there's a systems three law for for drivers in Las Vegas. That it's That's, yeah, 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 yeah. I, 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 I was just in a really mischievous slash screw this mood. Uh, normally, I'm not that provocative. Uh, but these people were really blatant and egregious with their absolute disregard. So uh, for, for anything having to do with laws, standards, what have you. Now, uh, particularly in Las Vegas, where even your residential streets are usually four lanes wide, uh, we have uh, pretty clearly defined walk and don't walk signals. And they And they were going out of their way to let everybody know that they didn't feel that didn't apply to them, that they could just cross whenever they felt like it, uh, which to me, I thought of as being that systems too, which is, hey, you know what? This We're, we're too good to do what we're being told to do. So we're going to re-legislate this, and we're just going to walk right in front of oncoming traffic and dare them to say something. Well, they dared me, and I said something. Or that could be a systems one, which is their ego speaking, which is okay. law don't apply to me. Um, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna go for it. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, but, I, I'm an outside the box thinker, and uh, and you know, I I also believe that the many rules, regulations, and processes are permanent overreactions, the temporary blips on the radar screen, and it's worth asking the five whys to determine which ones are actually there for good reason, and which ones were some C-suite person showing off that they have authority. Uh, nobody remembers why it happened. Well, absolutely. And I think that's a that's a good, definitely a good course of action. Yeah, yeah. Because I'll because I'll look at an A B C D E process, and my first question is going to be, why can't I go straight from A to E? Not because I'm saying B C and D are a bunch of bunk, and uh, they were just some C suite person posturing, making rolls, or that it was a it was a permanent overreaction to a temporary blip on some radar screen, and somebody had to be seen showing that they are being proactive and doing something. 
and I spelled out with the alternate uppercase and lowercase word letters, uh, like you see in social media when you're indicating a doofus. But uh, I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I, fi I figured you would catch on to that. Uh, it, but it's because I want to find out: Are B, C, and D truly valid? Maybe they are, or maybe B and D are valid, or maybe we only need C, or maybe there's an F and a G that need to be promoted. We don't know that, but let's. Uh, you think about the scientific method is about testing hypotheses, developing conclusions, and then retesting them against new hypotheses. Uh, whenever you hear the term settled science, you know that there's money uh, behind a narrative being created. I was not good in science in school, but one thing I did master was the scientific method. I tried to use pop rocks to, you know, those little candies. That pop, 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 pop. I tried to use those to to fertilize dandelions because it occurred in my mind that it might be possible i mean yeah it was a stupid idea but i tried it yeah well bringing it back to the uh systems one and systems two I yeah I, I yeah i know that's quite a tangent <laughs> but that's quite a tangent and i actually did that on purpose because I want people, I want our listeners, and I'm going to turn this completely over to you, is I want our listeners to understand that there is really no question too stupid. And through even through some of the things I might have said that may have seen a bit inane, it, it's, it's worth it to sometimes go down that road if for no other reason than just to rule things out. And that by analogy and simile, you may have if you're talking about something silly like using pop rocks to fertilize dandelions you might think of oh well what if we were to find a new way to process our garbage and our waste to fertilize dandelions and then increase the efficiency with which the dandelions uh pr participate in their role in the pollinization cycle now we're on to something that could be worthwhile i think no, go ahead definitely yeah uh, that's definitely an experiment that's worth checking out yeah, my, my experiment was really stupid and it got nowhere, but they let me try. <laughs> um, no, but I think you raise a good point around the different options, which is there's, you know, there are different types of decisions that we make. Some are more deliberate. Others, we use heuristics to do them a bit more efficiently. And I think for, for a lot of people, when choosing between one business and another or one different brand or another, often the heuristics that they'll use or the shortcut is, have I heard of this brand? Have I heard of this person or not? And do I have good feelings about them? Do they feel, uh, do they sound capable? Do they sound coherent? And if that is the case, then I'll choose them. And so if you think about someone going into, I don't know, buying cereal in, in, in the supermarket, um, they're gonna go with a brand that they've already heard about. And I think if we bring it all the way back to where this conversation started is if you are the brand that has managed to build rapport and awareness with people before they're ready to buy, that's a really, really strong advantage um, once, once, once they are ready to buy, once they, are, once they do go into the shopping center. Yeah. So going, so going beyond that, um... You know, how, one of the things that folks will sometimes do is, you know, you mentioned as part of your different types of marketing, the idea of running billboards or TV campaigns. So how do you, so 
aside from everything you've already shared with us, uh, what else can people do to get that kind of impact for the fraction of the cost they can afford? There's a few things. I think the first thing is to ensure, let's start with, let's start with the first basic one, which is getting noticed. Most advertising looks exactly the same. So the more that your advertising stands out, and usually we'll say that's through a visual identity, the more you don't look like your competitors, the more you don't look like your category, uh, you improve your odds of standing out. Brands that do stand out get chosen more often. That's the first thing. Yeah. The second thing you can do is one of the things that we advise our clients is instead of just thinking in terms of a one-off campaign, is to start thinking about the messaging that they want to deliver to the market for the entire six to 12 months, so for the entire year. And so this may apply to, to businesses and brands who perhaps uh, have a bit more budget. Um, but often when you go to film a commercial, the, 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 the production costs that you incur, well, instead of going and spending all of that money and hiring cameras and rigs and a set just for one ad, what we advise them to do is to think about all of the ads that you want to create over a year and do that in a single go. And so um, we share with them what we call the 245 framework, which is from every single production shoot, you're going to have one 60 second ad, which you, you can then cut into 15 second videos. And what that does is it allows you to great, get greater mileage out of your production costs. Yeah. The third thing that we say is, is in any type of marketing investment you want to do, you want to target it as broadly as possible, just because the marketing science does say that um, campaigns that are more broadly targeted outperform those that are not. And then finally, um, what would be the last thing I would say? The last thing I would say is really... Um, is to involve more than one media. So generally the ROI goes up on a campaign um, if you add in a secondary media or channel. So if you have Facebook ads and you also want to add a, a podcast, if you are doing a billboard and having your ad in newspaper at the same time, um, increase the effectiveness of that spend. You want to have the exact same message, uh, but you want to have it across more channels. And then I'm going to end on the most important one but that is to reduce the number of messages in your campaigns. Um, again, there was this another study that was done. Redu wait, reduce the number of messages in your campaigns? Absolutely. Okay, go ahead. So there's a basic study that says, um, to what extent do people remember ads? And the ads with more messages in them were recalled the least. And it's, and it's almost common sense which is if I have only five opportunities to talk to someone, am I going to say the same thing five times or am I going to say five different things? So the basic idea is that when we reduce the number of messages in, ad, in, in an ad, in, in a campaign, um, we improve the recall of the campaign. So let me make sure I'm clear. Now, when you say reduce the messages, that mean like send less emails or say less things? Yeah, it's say less things. So okay, okay, because because you'd be the first person uh, who I've who's actually been forward thinking on this who has ever said send less emails. Uh, send less emails is basically I'm afraid of my customers and oh my goodness, some random troll with 31 followers might send. I sent too many emails, so I should I should just surrender. 
Yeah. Well, that's frequency. So frequency, yeah. frequency is fine. It's more the it's more the number of different messages within each one of those. Emails. Right. Right. So we're basically we're we're coming up with a with a consistent message, and we're doing that to create the we're trying to create the very strong brand identification between this topic and this marketer so that uh, when you know people think of uh Faisal for example they think uh you know they think specifically about create a business company for example when they think of me they think of launch your podcast fast uh we don't want to have have them thinking about 25 different things so they're confused exactly that's yeah. spot on yeah now how does that now how does that work for the multipreneur you know uh the most extreme example that you and i have both seen have already discussed is elon musk uh, he simultaneously owns a social media company um an electric car manufacturing company a company that digs tunnels uh underneath cities to build new roadways oh and he also launches rockets and there's probably about twenty thousand other uh, multiple streams of revenue that he doesn't have his name directly on because he's because for him to get into the Twitter deal and then not even be worried about it tells me he's got money coming from somewhere. But anyway, uh, we but we see this more micro with entrepreneurs when they engage in two or three businesses at the same time. So uh, I'm thinking of somebody who, for example, uh, is in a business that helps people with their social media marketing and at the same time is also in a business that helps homeschool parents find the best curriculum for their kids. These are both viable businesses and there's no reason for them to not be in both at the same time. So how do we bifurcate that? That's an interesting question. I think the common denominator in the Elon Musk example is that while each one of those different businesses have their own brands, the commonality is the Elon Musk brand. Yeah, it is. And, and um, so my answer to you around the multipreneur is that uh, within your example, the, I think the assumption is that these are all kind of smaller businesses with limited yeah. marketing budgets. The right. commonality in the message is is the person who's running the business. I thought I thought so. Yeah, because you think about it, part of the reason that they are in the multipreneurial space is because they're doing something which is very smart, which is developing multiple streams of revenue, and at the same time, they're in some cases they're doing it because they need the multiple streams of revenue because they don't have a very large budget right now. And they're taking the strategy of getting thin slices of a whole lot of pies that will add up to a full dessert. Exactly. And yeah. I think if you, yeah, if you yeah, go, because it, yeah, because if I'm a general social media marketer, that's a, that's a huge pie and I might get a tiny slice of that. But if I can also be in homeschooling, if I can also be in artificial intelligence, if I can also be in cat food, these are four different streams of revenue. Exactly. And three and, and and to get the returns I need from each one of them, I might I might not need a huge budget because I'm not banking on one of them alone sustaining me. Like one of them could get blown away and I'd be just fine. Yeah, and I think if you go back to the Elon Musk example, the the reason why it's not analogous to say a PNG model with a house of brands. So PNG owns Tide, it owns uh, Dove, it yeah. owns a whole bunch of household goods where the PNG brand is not doing any of the heavy lifting, right? Right. They're building, they're building what we called equity and reputation in each one of those standalone products. But with Elon Musk, yeah, you know, Tesla, um, Tesla stands for something. 
slightly different. SpaceX stands for something slightly different. She also has a solar panel company as well. But the common denominator and why people I think are uh, quite affectionate for, for some of the companies that he that he owns is, is him. And so I think the, the key here is for the for the multi-entrepreneur is to make the, the multi-entrepreneur himself or herself the reason why people perhaps want to buy. Yeah. Because uh, think about the crossover is is uh, a small business that needs help with their social media marketing. Well, that could be run by an entrepreneur. Now, if you look at who homeschools their kids, you're going to find a larger percentage of entrepreneurs within that class than you will in the general population of people who send their kids to school somewhere. I probably bet that is the case. Yeah, and these are and these are the folks who spend a lot of time with their cats. And I say that because my very own Princess Alessandra Francesca is giving me a look of judgment sitting next to me right now. Uh, I'm statistically more likely to be the type that's going to study her fur and say, "Is this as soft and 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 does this have the sheen it's supposed to?" We might want to make sure she's eating the right food, which means I'm going to be more likely to be in a constant state of exploration of what is the best food to make sure that my cats have the nicest coats. Well, you're like everyone else who, um, who bought a lot, who paid a lot more attention to their homes uh, during yeah. COVID and during lockdowns. Yeah. So whereas I stared at my couch and bought a new one, you stared at your cat and thought about what shampoo they need. Yeah. Yeah, well, my, well, uh, well, I, well, I'm talking about food, actually. Uh, what you know, the thing that actually determines the quality of a cat's coat, and it's the same with dogs and pretty much every other furry animal, is the quality of what they ingest. That's yeah, why you want to give them grain-free foods. You want to look at the quality of the sourcing and a number of other factors are beyond the scope of this interview. But I've gotten a lot of compliments about the quality of the, the coats that my cats have and it really just comes down to i've i've ever since they were kittens i've paid a lot of attention to their meals that sounds like some strong upstream thinking yes yeah now now a multipreneur of uh, who has as a stream of revenue is going to be looking to attract someone like me there might not have they may not get the same traction with the people say well, they're just cats, and uh, let's just get the bulk bag of meow mix. Now, uh, while I'm at that, I do remember I knew this cat once. His name was Boo Boo Kitty, and if you held up, he and he loved meow mix. He loved it. If you held up that bag of meow mix and he said, "Boo, what's in the bag?" He would tell you. He knew where his fur came from, didn't he? He knew where his fur came from. Now he, uh, now he loved the gorge on that meow mix by the bullful, and he also uh, had this highly scientific wet food that he ate that was supposed to help him with his weight, but didn't because he was eating so much kibble. But what can he do? You can't win them all, can you? No, you no, you can't. Sometimes you just have to settle for them not feeling like sandpaper when you pet them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, so as we uh, wrap up here, we got just a couple minutes. Um, I had uh, one, you know, final question here is that uh, yeah, just overall, let's say, and this is going to be a lot of our audience that are creating what are known as challenger brands. So, how can challenger brands position themselves for profitable growth, especially since they're challenging existing market leaders? 
I would just say is a challenger is really have to challenge. So the number one rule for a challenger is that you never want to be, um, you don't want the customer to compare you against the status quo or the yeah. market incumbent. So if you think about Red Bull, uh, excuse me, Red Bull, that's exactly why they purposely decided not to position it as, um, as a soda or a soft drink, which is right. why there's differences in the can, there's differences in the price point, there's differences in the distribution strategy. You'll never find a Red Bull next to a soda drink. Why is that? Because they don't want to A, be in that category, and B, if they are in that category, people will compare them to Coca-Cola and they won't have, um, they won't have a leg to stand on. So the key for challengers is really to limit comparisons to the status quo, uh, carve out a unique space for their own, and try to define a subcategory um, that allows them to what we call fight where they can come first. Fight where they can come first. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah being in the uh, yeah, being in the uh, podcasting industry, I uh, frequently get compared to somebody who a lot of the market have decided is somehow my competitor, even though they're not in the podcast launch space. I find it's funny. And uh, I'm not going to say the person's name because they're a friend of mine. There's no reason to um, to mix that up. But they'll uh, they say, oh, you do podcasting, huh? Well, have you ever heard of so-and-so? It's like, yeah, I've had him on my show. Like this, this is not new. You think you think I've been in the podcasting industry? I haven't heard of this. I mean, it gets to the point where I get really frustrated with the question over and over again. And then I uh, and then I had somebody say that uh, they wanted to uh, they wanted to bring somebody on uh, as a speaker at their conference about podcasting. And this person uh, probably forgot that I was in 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 the uh, in the room. And they said out loud that uh, they had thought about bringing me on, but they this friend of theirs. They decided to bring on instead because that person knows more than me. Now, meanwhile, uh, the person I went and looked them up, and they're and they're branded um, as being involved in uh, email marketing. I don't. They don't even use the word podcasting or marketing. So, how they know more than me, I don't know. But uh, second, but the but beyond that, regardless of this alleged market leader whose name I won't say, uh, you know, not for bad reasons, and this friend of somebody who supposedly is more advanced in podcasting, neither one of them are my competitors. I'm aware of their I'm, I'm aware of their existence, but I don't compete with them at all. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you need to find some white space for your brand. Well, part of the white space, and this is where we found we get the most traction, is, and it's funny you mentioned, it's funny you mentioned something, I can't remember your exact languaging of it, but our message is that, uh, is that, you really don't need to agonize over understanding it. You just need to be committed to having it. Mm. It's like, like, let's say tomorrow you want to start a podcast. You could uh, bang the Yahoo out of the Googles on how to start a podcast, how to launch a podcast. You're going to get 100,000 videos, articles, and what have you that all mutually contradict each other. Uh, we're for somebody who really doesn't want to figure that out. They have more money than time and they want to get started with podcasting. They really just want something that works. And those well, are also, like yeah, and those are also our like clients that are most successful. Niche. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah so, so essentially, you know, if you think of the blue ocean, we're thinking of just sailing on the blue ocean and enjoying having a podcast. And as far as, well, how do I get on Spotify? I can get you on Spotify in five minutes. How do I get on iTunes? Well, 
It's actually called Apple Podcasts, but I can get you there in five minutes too. I just need you to record these episodes. Yeah, yeah, work. Yeah, we're, yeah. I mean, working with us on the launch your podcast fast process is essentially um, it's uh, mostly having a few conversations with me and approving a few things along the line as we build our stuff and you record a few episodes for launch. That's it. You don't have to understand the rest of it. Just know that you're going to have something really great that works. Now, uh, what I do want our listeners to do is uh, if you are intrigued by building a brand on a small budget and you recognize that there is a body of work behind this, uh, somebody who does know more about that specific discipline to me, of course, is is Faisal Siddiqui. Uh, this is his life's work. So I want you to go to his website. It's at www.creativebusinesscompany.com. That's creativebusinesscompany.com. And you'll discover more about their process for doing this. It's outlined pretty clearly on their homepage. And you'll also see some of the major brands, a couple of which Faisal has mentioned on our conversation, that they dealt with. So you can see that these solutions and systems have been tested in real time and are definitely worth your consideration. So once again, that's creativebusinesscompany.com. And if you uh, would like to engage with Faisal, uh, go ahead and find him on social media or contact him through his website. Uh, just be sure to mention you heard him on the businesscreatorsradioshow.com. I get nothing for that. I just want him to know that he's made a difference today. And with that, Faisal, thank you so much for being with us. It's been an honor and believe me in education. Lovely. Thank you so much, Adam. Have a wonderful day. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.